Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys. You're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. That ended up with like all these books with bookmarks in and, and pages that were dog ears, and and eventually, like you know, you've got this whole library that you've got to like keep going back to to remember, like exactly the little tidbit of information that would be relevant in this situation. Um, so uh, as I mentioned that I've then got this sort of little bank of like key bits of information um, you know that I could always just refer to um, for easy access and, and just share the most relevant bit um, with like whoever it was that I was working with at that time um, and then you know the book just sort of evolved from there uh, so it started as um, just with the collection of sessions which I thought was sort of suitable um, and then I was chatting sort of with um, with my uncle who's got like no involvement with football whatsoever uh, which was good to try and get like an outside perspective um, and he mentioned like all of these sessions are great but like you know like if I've never coached before or like if I don't really know what I'm doing what can you do to like help the coach um, and that's when this like knowledge bank that I'd sort of established became into the like coaching guidelines to help point people in the right direction of like how to create the best environment for the players so that they can develop to their full potential mm-hmm. um, and then yeah just going to just on that thing maybe talk to, talk to us a little bit about what some of those key fundamentals are because obviously there is resources like this um out there 
you know, mm. yeah, it's interesting. I was having a conversation just yesterday. We had a yeah, with a couple of different coaches around. You know, coaching's been around for so long. Sports uh, coaching, in particular, has been around for so long. Um, and quite often, what you see is the, some of the things that we're doing, then, and, and some of the things that we then end up learning about, if you like, mm. they're not necessarily new things. Mm. Packaged in ways that are maybe easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more palatable to digest. So, in terms of the content, what what you know, what what are some of the key things that you would say are essential for coaches to be effective? And you know, how how do you look at that? Because you know, and that, that probably stems back to uh, what will essentially become a different question. And you know, what do you identify as your philosophy of coaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think some of the key takeaways. Um, so, so first of all, like um, the guidelines, um, I don't think that you can be prescriptive on saying like there's one correct way of doing it. Um, and I think it's important that the coach finds a way that's authentic to them. You know, I'm not just like joining the dots and, and trying to do what's being prescribed for them. Um, but then you do get sort of, a lot of research that shows that certain methods are more effective for people to learn because essentially it's not about how well you teach or how well you think you teach it's how much people learn you know like and so in terms of getting the environment right that the players can sort of learn what it is that you're wanting and develop that and apply it to the game um, that's where I've put the guidelines in to try and see your coaches into this way where the majority of people's going to be able to improve the most. So the general guidelines would be about creating an environment that feels safe. So players are one having fun. Um, you know, they're not sort of worried about turning up because they might get in trouble or they might get shouted at. Um, you know, that's a little bit off-putting. Uh, so it's got to be fun and that way you keep getting players back um, so how do you make it fun uh, well you try and keep it football related as much as possible because we're there to play football and you try and keep everyone involved at all times so you don't have people sitting out and just watching you know like sometimes you get these sort of sessions where it's like oh you need 10 players for this activity and 13 for the next well, what do them three players do while you're working with them 10? Um, you know, cause if they're just sitting around watching, you know, it's not very enjoyable for them and they're not going to make the most progress because they're just not involved. Um, and if you've only got limited time, you know, you might only be coaching them for an hour a week. They need to be involved all the time. Um, and then in terms of making that environment feel safe so the players are willing to try these new things you know it's about uh, making sure the players sort of know you care about them you know there's an old sort of mantra about people don't care what you know until they know that you care um and sometimes that comes naturally to some people and and not so much for others you know they might be a little bit more standoffish or you know they may not have like that sort of social skills for, for like whatever reason or, you know that's not their style but then you need to find like a way where you can still sort of 
connect with them um, on a personal level and, and let them know that you are there for them and that it's not like you telling them what to do and, and they've got to do it and, you know, try to please you sort of thing. Like that's not the dynamic <laughs> that you want. Um, so, so you've got them guidelines there um, so that you can sort of be positive with them and try and find things that they're doing well and, and trying to like sort of praise them with that and, you know, that positive reinforcement. Um, so in the book, I talk about affirmations, um, you know, and of, like the difference between just giving praise and affirming it, um, which I've I seen um, like a little inspirational message just like the other day, like two days ago, um, saying about how we're more like um, uh, what, what, what more like acorns. We've got the potential to grow into like an oak tree with the correct sort of nourishment. Um, so it's about recognizing the strengths and the potential of the players that you're working with and helping build on that rather than just wanting to like build something in your own image sort of thing. So, it's, so you're working with the individuals that you have. I think you're muted. Uh, on that one, you know, I think um, <clears throat> really, really, really good point to make on in terms of recognising potential now. Now, obviously that recognition of potential um, is limited um, and, and obviously directly probably related to maybe what the, the individual observing is able to, I guess, see in that mm -hmm. respect. So how, you know, what would, what would be your guidelines to support coaches in terms of right, being able to recognise potential that they haven't considered before, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so recognising potential is always a difficult one. Um, you know, there's, there's all these studies about how few academy players actually get into the first team and how few of them start in an academy at a very young age and actually are still there at the end of that process because notoriously people are bad at identifying potential and you know you've got this um, selection and, and confirmation bias where you know um, usually your early developers look really good because um, they're a little bit taller a little bit faster a little bit stronger and all of them sort of physical attributes and mental attributes as well, um, you know, being them few months a bit more mature can help a player stand out at a really young age. Um, and then in a few years' time, when the peers have caught them up, um, because they've not been challenged for the last few years, they've not developed all of the skills necessary. Um, and that's why spotting potential, uh, as I mentioned, is notoriously difficult. Um, so what I'm sort of meaning about spotting strengths and spotting potential, um, you're sort of looking for indicators, um, uh, you know, that can sort of show that someone might be capable of doing more than what they currently are. Um, so, and how keen they are to progress. Um, so some of the obvious ones that can stand out are players who are keen to ask questions and, keen to try new things that you know enthusiastic um they'll go away and they'll work on the ball mastery skills and they'll come back and, and you'll see that progress 
Um, bits like that are good sort of indicator. Um, and then you've got other like physical characteristics that can be a good indicator. So not so much like how tall they are um, and that, but the physical ability that um, usually um, sort of being agile, being coordinated, having good balance. Um, you know, even if they're not the best player at the time, if we're talking about for younger age groups, them sort of key physical literacy skills will help them um, that can transfer into like learning skills quite fast. So even if they aren't the tallest or, or they're not the fastest, if, if they've got these other physical um, aspects that can help. Um, it, it's about spotting when players are trying things, that's, um, that's good, you know, even if it doesn't quite pull off and affirming it. So that it, it's not the pass that they've made, it's the vision that they had to see the pass. So even if that pass gets intercepted, you can affirm the vision and um, the fact that they're playing with their head up and that they spotted it and then the pass didn't work and it might be because they're not physically strong enough to make that distance or, you know, put enough pace on the ball. It might be that they made a bad decision that time where they were never going to get it past the defender. Um, but you've still got that sort of vision and the awareness that you can affirm that so that they still play with their head up and they still try these ambitious passes. And then, you know, through trial and error, forget that um, sort of feedback from the game itself about what works and what doesn't. And then they build up this like bank of experience, which helps to inform their decision making. Um, likewise, you can spot when players are sort of being positive and keen to try and take a player on and dribble past them. Well, they might get tackled, but at least they were confident enough to try and, you know, at least they're willing to try these skills and to challenge himself. And it, it's about like promoting resilience and being like, yeah, like it, it didn't work this time. Can we go again? You know, can you keep trying it? And it's building all them sort of skills in yeah. them. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so, you know, what I'm hearing you say there is is much more about developing their 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 own understanding and their ability to reflect on what's what's happened and what's what's made it successful and what maybe the, some of the challenges they faced are in mm. the process. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think you know I think it's a great way to look at it. My, you know, my question to you would then be, is how do we ensure that we're guiding their attention or that their attention is focused on the correct things? So for instance, mm -hmm. if it hasn't quite worked out for them, what kind of questions are we asking them as to, as, or what, how do we follow that up? So, you know, uh, there's gonna be a lot of coaches out there that players, even themselves, when, they, you know, when, they, when, when an action is performed, it hasn't quite worked out, but they're not too sure about where the breakdown was or how it, why it didn't work out. And they may just start changing their decision without understanding why that decision didn't execute correctly in the first place, if that makes sense. So how, yeah. how, how do you support players in that in terms of distinguishing that? Because I think that, that's a really key part for a lot of coaches to consider in terms of, right, how do we get to the real heart of that issue there or that, mm -hmm. that, that, that problem there, um, rather than just scooting over it and deciding actually the decision was wrong, let's move it on, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so another complex one. Um, often, um, it's good to like 
take a step back and watch if they can self-correct and, and you know give them that opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of people are capable, are, are like extremely capable, and they can use the feedback that the game has given them about what worked and what didn't, and then try and tweak things themselves. If it if they're like not able to self-correct and you're spotting the same sort of mistakes happen, um, you know, three, four times, um, then that's a good indicator that, you know, they might need a little bit more help with it. Um, and then a good place to start from there is, is trying to figure out what it was that caused that breakdown. Um, so from the coach's point from the outside looking in sometimes like you can see what it was um you know because you don't have the pressure for game happening around you um so you can spot it and it's fairly self um obvious uh, other times it's not so obvious it could have been a couple of different things like maybe they didn't see the pass or, or maybe they did see it and, and didn't act on it and maybe they didn't act on it because of their own personal limitations um you know maybe they're self-aware of what their limitations were um so this decision making is very complex so if you're not sure on what exactly caused a breakdown or if there's like a couple of things that might have caused it you can ask the player to uh, especially if we're talking slightly older like 12 and up you can ask the player like what it was that they seen or what it was that they were trying to do and then at least you get their points. Um, and, you know, they might shed a little bit of light on what exactly the limiting factor was in that moment. Um, and if you've got that information, they're able to give you that, then you can work on that on your coaching point. So you know what sort of, what factors they were considering and maybe what factors they didn't see. And then, you know, you can strip it back and, and you can, talk through them about the different things or you can challenge them to do certain things you know maybe they were just hesitant to make the pass because they thought it might have got cut out and then you can give them the challenge like you know maybe you want them to make a split pass you know instead of passing it backwards you want them to try and play it forwards and you give them that challenge you know like can you try and play forwards and then at least for no what it is that they're trying to do and if it doesn't work out that's okay this is when we come back to the positive reinforcement and and giving them the affirmations of trying the right things that are you know in inverted commas what you think is the right thing and usually that's dictated by your game model or you know what you want the player to look like and uh, and you know that can be very detailed you know you might have a very clear vision of what you want um, if you're working with younger players, you may not really have a game plan. You may not have a detailed sort of idea of what the game should look like um, and certainly not a detailed idea that you give to the players because, you know, they're not really capable of understanding it or executing it um, because they're like eight years old and, and it's like only the fifth time they've played in a football game. You know, like, you've got to sort of cater to the people who you're working with. You know, sometimes, like, if you're coaching under 18, like, senior team, you might have a clear 
game model and you've got your principles that guide for these actions uh, and then you can always come back to that and, and you've got your little um, heuristics to guide the group decision making to try and speed up that decision making so that everyone's on the same page when you're coaching in the foundation phase it's a little bit more where every player is doing what they think's best and we're focusing on that individual development so even if you don't have a detailed game model you know what characteristics you want to work on you know again if, if we're talking under eight you might just want them to like dribble with the ball stay on the ball you know fall in love with the game and essentially making players with the potential to become match winners you know like if we look at the recent Champions League game between PSG and Real Madrid and Mbappe dribbles through two defenders and then finishes it but well that's brilliant you know one player one attacker has took two defenders out of the game and, and created a match winning goal for himself with this movement um, are we doing enough in the foundation phase to encourage match winners, to give players these sort of necessary skills and attributes that, you know, they're confident and competent enough to do this and, you know, take on two players because that gives the team a massive advantage. And, you know, in the foundation phase and it's not working out and, and we're making bad decisions and we're getting tackled, that's okay you know we're not playing in the Champions League you're doing that individual development where you want them to develop these characteristics so that when they get older they can choose the right time to do it because they've got that in their arsenal you know they've got this skill in their locker and that gives them the choice to make where if we're not focusing on these skills when they're younger and it's like pass 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 or you know kick it out if you're in danger sort of thing well that's all they're ever going to be capable of doing you know like but then don't have the full range of decisions when they get older because we've not put the foundations in place when they started and i, and I, totally, I totally get what you mean and i, and I agree to i think it always brings you back to the conversation around should we really be using unopposed practices in um, and if you are going to use them, then you, you, in my opinion, you need to make damn sure that you're actually providing as much context to where this relates to the game as possible. And it's not as, and it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, yeah, we're doing a dribbling exercise. Um, okay, well, how does that relate to Well, they dribble in the game, don't they? It's not, mm. that's not how it looks. How does it look in the game? And how can you relate that picture and that image back to your session? And I think that's probably the biggest, uh, you know, message to kind of take away in that one. And I think for me, giving players the ability to make a decision is great. But I think they can only make those decisions effectively if they have a good understanding of the environment they're in, mm. the, the situations. So I think for me, you know, it's really interesting to hear you say, you know, we look at Mbappe as an example, you know, being able to take on two players, but it's actually, it's actually, it's actually a lot more complex than that. It's not just taking on two players. It's mm. really taking those two players on from what's the context. Are they? Are you coming in from the left? Are you coming in from the right? Are you? Are you got two players directly in front of you with a goal directly behind them? And I think all these little factors, if practiced appropriately, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Will then have an impact on the ability for those players to be able to make those decisions and replicate those decisions in a game as well. And I think it's the context itself which changes everything. Mm-hmm. Says you're right, Paul. We're going to take on two players. Okay, but what if the two players are ten yards apart as opposed to five yards apart? Mm-hmm. Three yards apart. It changes the challenge, the challenge, and the context of everything that you're doing completely. And even then, how you perceive the decision to be approached, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. The question I've got for you then is in in your book, do you refer to any of that sort of stuff? And how would you then present that information for coaches to kind of take on board and think about in terms of whether their practice is actually fit for purpose, if you like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the book, it doesn't so much touch upon um, decision-making like explicitly the way of just, um, sort of talk through it there um, but in the sessions um, you know the plan some of them are unopposed because there's a place and a time to use it but for often the limited duration it, it's often to focus on like one certain you know about five or ten minutes and, and it's there to focus on like that one skill or you know that one theme to get for repetition um, so that the coach is able to observe it, the player is able to like practice it. Because you know, if, if you've got players who've never kicked a ball before, then you and, and you're saying, "Oh, try and dribble past two players," but the challenge becomes too much. You know, yeah. we, we might need to get familiar with the ball first. I, I, I personally, I personally, I don't agree with that. Okay. Um, because and I, I, and I used to think that was the that would be the case. And, um, and then I was working on a, on a project where I had players who'd never played the game before. Um, and I thought, right, I'm going to try something here. I've got, I've got a theory. And I believe it's going to work. It might not look pretty. It, I'm almost certain it won't, at least in the beginning anyway. Mm-hmm. And I literally just did a post work with people that never played the game before. Mm-hmm. I was shocked within six months of the results I saw. They actually, through just constant opposed practice with novice players, some who'd never played, mm-hmm. um, how well they were able to then perform within three months and then again at six months and so on and so forth. Just because of them being able to practice against someone, they had to then problem solve. Mm-hmm. Like one opposed work 
whether that be going through in and out curves, whether it be working in open spaces, removes that that aspect of everything mm. for them. So as much as there is a case to say there is a place for it, um, and I don't agree, I don't disagree that there isn't a place for it. I I would always just question: Is it the most effective use of time? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where maybe you might have three sessions a week, then you might throw in one like that, where it is just about refining repetition, um, you know, creating movement patterns in the body that can that, that, that just become second nature, if you like. Mm-hmm. Actually, even then, when you then break it down, as soon as you throw a player into the equation or an opposition player, you know, opposition into the equation, the movement patterns aren't the same anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the way the body has to has to navigate itself and coordinate itself to actually then get beyond a player as opposed to a cone or, or, or an open space or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, actually, it's a completely different pattern. Um, yeah. Therefore, you do not be just better off just throwing in an opposition and then just varying the level of um, involvement of the opposition. So you might say, right, okay, you're going to be a static defender or you can only operate in this two-by-two two space. But the two-by-two two space that you're operating in has to be penetrated somehow by the person on the ball, as an example, mm-hmm. um, which then controls the challenge, but still provides the context. Mm-hmm. Um, and my only, cha- my only, you know, kind of bugbear with unopposed work really is how many coaches still give the context, mm-hmm. actual context, and not just, oh yeah, well, just imagine you're dribbling because that's what mm-hmm. you're going to do in a game. Well, no, actually, talk to me about the makeup of the situation, right? Give me context. Am I coming in from the left? Am I coming in from the right? Am I going straight on goal? Where's the defender coming from? Are they approaching me from the left, from the right, from the straight from goal? So, you know, to give you an example, it's not that I don't use unopposed work at mm-hmm. all. But if I was to do it, it'd probably be because I'm limited by numbers or space. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it might be, right, Paul, um, I'm going to play this pass to you. Um now you're playing with your back to goal, but I want you to play with your back to goal. I want you to receive it in a way where the defender's on your left shoulder. Now, if I then switch up and say, right, Paul, now I want you to receive it as if the defender's directly behind you. So he's mm-hmm. on the right side. And then again, flip it. Right, now he's on your right shoulder. Now, each one of those decisions or those contexts will affect the decision that you make in terms of A, how you want to, how you want to position yourself, the type of surface you're going to use to control it, Mm-hmm. The way it's going to take your next touch and so on and so forth. You know, the sky's the limit in terms of where that's going to end up. But I'm not giving you something visual to actually relate to and then make a decision off the back of if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's only with that context that, for me, unopposed work can really be impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely agree that context is key. You know, context is very important. Um, so if I'm talking about three under nine, so I'm coaching now, uh, and they've already like started playing in the last sort of five or six months. Uh, you know, very limited experience, um, and you know to start off with, um, like, oh, okay, like, you know, I, I went into a, a pause. So it was like let's just play a game, and and you see, like, you know, they didn't have the confidence to do anything with the ball so like they just kick the ball away and, and then run after it um, and, and it's at that point where I thought well okay like you know we need some unopposed stuff 
um, and you know we need to give them like different things to experiment with and, and to try and give them some ideas and you know some inspiration and um, so do some like ball mastery stuff with them you know get them comfortable with the ball at their feet and that uh, but even that's not dribbling in and out of corns um, because that you know as far as like what I think if you put corns down straight away the head goes down because they need to see where the corner is so they don't hit them but I want them to play with a head up so I can't do that with a corn because I'm reinforcing a bad movement pattern um, so the other pose work that I do with Ed I get the um, interference so like they're all doing the ball mastery but they're in the same space as each other so they've got to play with a head up so they don't run into each other and that way, they're getting lots of touches on the ball, but they're still making some decisions about what space they can and can't go into because of the interference. And um, we've got that little bit of context there. You know, if there's a player there, that's a defender. I've got to move away from the defender. Uh, and then they get um, an element of success, you know, with these like ball mastery skills. And then, you know, you gradually increase and becomes more and more pause. So, you, you know, you might start eight players with a ball each and then you might get one defender and then two defenders and, and you build it up like that. Um, yeah. Just kind of give you a, a bit more context. So one of the things, I, one of the practices I love to use, especially with, with younger players that are, or, or uh, players that are earlier in their journeys, um, and I think it works brilliantly for me and like, they absolutely love it. I'll let you throw in a set of balls. Let's just say there's four players. I'll make sure there's enough for a ball between two. Mm -hmm. um, they're not working in pairs specifically, but they could be. And the, and the task is simple. You've got 60 seconds. Hold on to the ball. Whoever's got mm -hmm. the ball, whoever's 60 seconds wins. You get a point or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't matter who they come to getting the ball off. It doesn't matter who's got the ball at the end. One thing that definitely I, I, I've seen that it's, it's done for me is a they're engaged straight away because of the element of competition. Mm -hmm. um, they're gonna within that sixty seconds alone they might face or come up in a one v one situation against different players of different statures, different abilities, um, time and time again. So the repetition factor is there constantly, um, and then there's the transition element as well because if you lose the ball now you gotta go get it back. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter who you get it from, doesn't matter where you get it from, doesn't matter who who took it off you. Just go and yeah. get it. If I wanted to make it a bit more interesting, I could even just say, right, okay, the ball that you've just lost or that you were just playing with, you can't play with that one now. You've got to go find mm -hmm. another one before you can go back to that one. Um, now, one of the questions I always throw in there for them to think about is, right, think about who you're taking on. Think about who you're taking, who you're taking the ball off. Think about how they, how they were different or even, and in what ways they were either more challenging or less challenging against the person who you were just, just played against. Mm-hmm just to get them to start thinking about, you know, okay, well, this person's quicker, this person's smaller, this person's taller, this person's stronger, whatever those factors might be. Um, just to give them some more uh, guidance around some of the things that I potentially want them to pay attention to when it, gets, when it comes down to it. And I'll just do a few rounds of that. They mm. absolutely love it. And then I'll turn it into a 2v2 and then I'll turn it into a 3v3. Um, or it might even be a thing where actually we've got three teams of three or three teams or four teams of three. And actually, whichever, there's four balls, there's four teams whichever team has has the balls at the end wins and mm. got the point or whatever so you know there's different variations in how you can make it work but the one key thing that i think really works well in that is 
players are always involved and mm -hmm. we have to be real and honest with it. And I'm never telling them how to go about beating a player. So I, I you know, in a roundabout way, my question was going to be to you, if you're doing the ball mastery stuff, and this is, a, a, I, I hear people talk about ball mastery all the time, but I think if you're talking about ball mastery, in my opinion, you can only really truly do that in a way where it's the context of that. Mm -hmm. So if you were to deliver a session around ball mastery and go back to what you just said a few moments ago, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. um, so as I mentioned, um, the, the ball mastery, like this is pretty much like part of like the warm up, part of getting them familiar with the ball, um, you know, getting familiar with the weight of the ball, the length of the grass, like, you know, how much resistance is there, um, how bumpy is the ground. You know, it, it, it's a familiarisation exercise. Uh, and it, it's often just like in a confined space with, with everyone on the ball there. Um, and then the way that I'll do it changes, uh, often depending on who I'm working with. Um, you know, sometimes you know, more experienced players, lots of skills, fast footwork, then, you know, they can just sort of express themselves for like a minute or two before we move into something that's supposed to, um, a little bit like the game that you described, but only I tend not to do it for a minute and I do it for random intervals because um, I want to promote the enthusiastic defending. Whereas, you know, if you say a minute, people might take it easy at the beginning and then try really hard towards the end. If they don't know when I'm going to call the time, they've got to start right from the off, like trying to win that ball back, um, which is something that I want to promote within my sessions. If um, if I'm doing a ball mastery with a less technically um, able group or a less experienced group, then I will give them like a couple of ball mastery skills or outplay moves to try and practice. Um, because they may not just discover these moves if you let them just play all the time. So I'll, I'll demonstrate a move, let them practice it, um, you know, with the younger age group, demonstrate another one, let them practice it, and try and just give them, like, a new skill, like, for about 20, 30 seconds or so. Let them practice it a little bit. They don't need to master it. You know, it's, it's just getting familiar with it, and then I'll move on to another one. Um, and then at the end, like, we sort of recap and, and it's like rapid fire. It's So I might have shown them a step over and a cry for turn, um, maybe an L drag. And then at the end, it's like rapid fire. Can you do all three of them? Can you do them with both feet? And they've got the decision then to use these skills. We've got the opportunity to practice them. Um, but again, as you mentioned earlier, context is critical. Like I've been doing this like ball mastery skills with them for like a little while and uh, you know a few weeks and then one of them started to ask um why do we do ball mastery like when do we ever do this in a game um and this is something like a step over where like a lot of adults go well you can do this in a game like almost all the time you, you know if you watch any premier league game you'll often see a step over within it um and it was that sort of realisation that, you know, the youngest players who maybe don't spend a lot of time watching football, you know, they can't sort of take this like abstract ball mastery skill and put it into a game. Um, and that's when it's not just 
given him for ball mastery skill, but it's given him for context. So it's like, right, I'm doing the step over. If I'm running at the defender here, you know, I'm going to do the step over there. The defender's going to think I'm going in this direction. And then I can accelerate away into this space here and into the other direction. And giving him that sort of building block and, and that context, you're like, right, this is where we are on the pitch. Like I'm dribbling at this player here, and this is when I can use this skill. Uh, and try not to just give one context, unless it's a skill where there is only one context where it applies. Give him a couple of different contexts. Because it's all right if you say, oh, I'm for a winger and I'm running at the full back and I do this so that I can go to the outside and cross the ball. And then they might think that's the only time they can do that skill. But you might want to do it to cut inside and then like to link with someone or to go for goal yourself. You might want to do it if you're a centre midfielder or centre back to try and get a little bit of space to progress the ball further up the field. So it's important when providing the context, we're not limiting fair decision-making and limiting fair application of when we do it. Um, and then, you know, as I said, it's just to build that confidence and, and that familiarity. And it's a limited period of time. And then you do it opposed. And they may not be confident enough to do that ball mastery skill opposed. And that's okay. You know, if, they're developing the skills that works for them. You know, they're doing what they think is the right decision. And, you know, in this opposed practice, that's fine. Like, they don't have to be able to perform, like, 36 skills to beat a player. Like, you know, and it doesn't even need to be a skill. Sometimes just dropping your shoulder is enough to beat a player. And if, if that's working with them and that's effective, brilliant. You know, let them do it. Like, they've still got that decision of can they, build, uh, can they beat the player and we've got the familiarisation with the ball of using both feet which is something that a little bit of ball mastery and unopposed work can sort of get them to do you know you can say right only use your other foot uh, and like they have to whereas in a game you know depending on where the ball comes at them or depending on where the defender is or depending on what the situation is they don't necessarily get that repetition. And then, you know, they can end up with that sort of deficiency where they're not able to use both feet. So it is, uh, as I say, just to get that familiarisation. And then it, it's supposed to, and hopefully that familiarisation just gives them, like, the little, well, the confidence, and, you know, for competence as well that they've got this idea and because I've actually used this part of the foot to move the ball, I, I know how, how like heavy the touch is, like how hard they have to kick the ball to move at a certain distance. You know, it's just building up that bank of experience. Whereas if you put them opposed straight away and, and you've got someone very experienced and someone not experienced, sometimes like your stronger players can dominate the practice and your weaker players don't get anything out of it. Um, so that's my argument for some unopposed work. Um, I, I'm struggling to remember what your initial question was. Um, uh, uh, something about recession. Yeah, it's just more, I think, I, I was so engrossed in what you were saying that I've almost forgotten it as well. But basically what I was trying to establish is how important is it then for player, how, what are your tips for coaches to basically keep that context in there? 
without mm. it being what you know what you and I, I, I like the word that you use it a ball familiarization familiarization exercise rather than a ball mastery exercise because they, for me they represent two very different things mm-hmm. um and it's all well you know great being able to master the ball but can you master the ball when there's players in, in, in involved uh can you still can you still be effective in that and you, you know I love, I love what you what you said about you know it's not about being able to do 30 different skills if a player is excellent at just dropping the shoulder and beating players with that let them do it um i think what what, what we can do as coaches maybe expose some different things mm-hmm. but never really have a set expectation on any the need and the 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 must have to perform these things if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, but just give it to give them the exposure build their bank of knowledge just so they can they're aware of some of the options they could potentially have mm-hmm. just leading on from that then um just tell us a little bit more about your book as we looked around up in it you know and, and then let us know where we can find it and, and, and what you would say are some of the key takeaways for you or that people maybe refer, referred back to you on that yeah um so for books um available from um, book retailers like um, wh smith's and um waterstones and um, it's online on like book depository and amazon but it's possibly for most global one there where, where you can get it from just about any country in the world um and then the oh, so, so that's where you find a book and um, if anyone wants to follow up with me or got any questions uh, best place is probably twitter and um, that is at for half turn and um, more than happy to discuss any of this or answer any questions and you know, share my thoughts and experiences with anyone who wants to know a little bit more you know if i've got a question like about the book if not about this conversation or any general coaching question i'm more than happy to help whoever can awesome thank you for that paul paul you know it's, it's been quite insightful and i think really refreshing for me to kind of uh, speak to someone like yourself where you you know you're not doing things that are quote-unquote the traditional way if you're like you're looking at things from a different perspective and I think it's always interesting to hear how different people are approaching because I think we can get so engrossed in coaching and just following suit with what's happening what's been happening and what's and what's always going to happen in that respect um so I think sometimes we need people to start to challenge that and some people looking at it from different perspectives so I definitely would encourage people to look at your book have a look at what it was you know, some of the great content in there um and see if there's any bits that they can maybe take off and spin off for themselves and with a bit more appropriacy for the environment they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, look, again, thank you for being with me this morning. Um, I, hope, I, hope, I hope that you know, you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Um, and yeah, guys, be sure to check out the book on Amazon and all the other platforms that Paul's mentioned there. And um, also make sure you definitely reach out to him at The Half Turn on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll get back to you as soon as possible on that. Thanks, Yaz. Well, there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.